Welcome to season four of Rural Business Uncovered, brought to you by the CLA, where we discuss important matters affecting the rural sector. Aspiring to unlock the potential of the rural economy, the Country Land and Business Association is the membership organisation that provides support and expert advice to landowners and rural business across England and Wales. Welcome to Rural Business Uncovered. Today we are talking about nurturing the local food economy. Developing local food networks and strengthening support for locally sourced food has a multitude of benefits. Buying locally sourced food reduces food miles, meaning less fuel is used in transportation, reducing its carbon footprint. It supports nearby businesses, creates local employment, keeps money circulating within the local economy and much more. I'm thrilled to say that today we're joined by Judy Cale Hammond, CLA Director of Policy and Advice, Vicky Hurd, Head of Sustainable Farming at Sustain, and Carl Averson, founder of Cedar Barn Farm Shop and Cafe, who will talk us through how we can nurture the local food economy. Hello to you all. Thank you so much for joining today. I'd love to start with some introductions. We'll start with you, Judy Kale. Hi, I'm Judy Kale Hammond. I'm the Director of Policy and Advice at the CLA, and one of the many, many uh, topics that my team covers is uh, how to make sure that food production stays uh, very high on the political agenda, and how do we make sure that things like the planning system, for example, encourages farm shops and uh, food production businesses like cars. Uh, Vicky, what does your role involve as head of sustainable farming? Yes, hi, Vicky from Sustain, and we too want to put food and farming at the top of the political agenda. Absolutely right. Um, and we've been working on agriculture policy, so that, that works better in supporting farmers in the transition to sustainable farming. But we know that the market really matters, and we've been doing a lot of work over the last few years about supply chain issues. And what can really help farmers is a more farmer focused supply chain we did a big survey last year of farmers and that you know in sort of made us absolutely clear that we've got to do something about supply chains and think about how it can better support farmers as well as um, government um, in that transition to sustainable farming and and really recognizing the true value of food in the supply chain wonderful Thank you. Carl, lovely to have you with us here today. Uh, you're, of course, from Cedar Barn Farm Shopping Cafe. So tell us more about your role. Yeah, um, I'm Carl, um, owner of Cedar Barn um, Farm Shop. I'm a fourth generation farmer. Um, we set up Cedar Barn 15 years ago and um, things are going pretty well at the moment. We've got a butchery, on-site butchery. The farm provides beef sheep we have an eight acre fruit field as well which um produces fruit for the shop and uh, we have an 80 seater cafe which um provides us with extra income we are now like i said in our 15th year and looking forward for the next 20 years hopefully yeah Sounds great. Thanks, Carl. So let's kind of go back a step, Judy Kale. I'll start with you. Could you talk us more about what a local food chain is and do consumers really understand it in the in the same way? That, that's an excellent question. Um, so I think it would be fair to say that the, the whole idea for having a discussion like today came out of the observation of what happened during the first COVID lockdown. 
uh, when wider logistics network basically seized up, stopped working, and the local food chain really came into its own. Um, and the conflict in Ukraine actually has brought to the fore a different set of challenges and a resurgence of self-sufficiency as a solution to food security risk. Now, self-sufficiency and locally produced foods are not necessarily the same thing. What is local? Well, uh, unhelpfully, there's no legal definition. Uh, it can be used and it is being used as a marketing tool for good and bad reasons, but in any case, it's pretty subjective. So, for example, we're aware of farm shops defining local as from a, a 30 mile radius. Uh, for supermarkets, it often means uh, food that is bought in the UK. So there's a very wide range of uh, meaning for something which for which people have a an instinctive understanding, but if you ask consumers, they're probably not going to be able to put a figure on it. And if they do, it'll be very, very variable. So in answer to your second question, do consumers uh, understand the same thing uh, when they talk about local? The answer is not really. Um, for most, it means buying direct from the producer but it's not just about the mileage although the mileage matters uh, it's the idea of integrated networks with production processing and distribution all being you know local close to each other uh, and and integrated and that is linked to, to how and where local food is sold so is it through food co-ops or it could be through book schemes, it could be through farm shops, it could be through farmers markets. Um, so there's a, there's a variety of local and what it means. That is really interesting for a lot of those listening and, and for me also. Is there any push for, I guess, this legal definition to, to become more defined or unified uh, in the near future? Or is this something that's still kind of being worked through? So I think Vicky will probably have a view on this. The only thing I would say at this point in the conversation is that for the government to deliver on its ambition in the food strategy, um, to have 50% uh, of food expenditure in the public sector to go on food produced locally, they'll have to define what locally means. So they'll have to get somewhere closer to a definition, but I'll hand over to Vicky at this point who might have a view as to legal definition. Yes, I think I, I think what the government probably meant, Judy Kale, uh, was UK. Um, to be honest, in that uh, procurement, food procurement uh, consultation. But I, I'm very much in the same mind as Judy Kale in terms of thinking about it's not just about geographic. Um, from our perspective, local and localized food systems are about that relationship between the producer and the and the bit in the middle, the important bit in the middle, but also the consumer, the eater, and getting that relationship to be better. Years ago, I mean, literally 30 years ago, I launched a report called Food Miles, The Dangers of Long Distance Transport of Food. And that sparked a lot of interest in local food um, and a lot of farmers markets spread up and we got a lot of interest and in the 30 mile radius thing came along. Um, and in all that time, there's been no real absolute need to have a definition. Um, so as you say, some farmers markets say 30 miles and some um, farm shops, and that's fine. That's great. It's it's whether you can actually look the farmer in the eye in the shop or look the trader in the eye and actually 
have a relationship with them where you can believe them and you can have trust that that relationship is a good one and that the farmer is getting paid fairly and the farm worker is being paid fairly and the the animals are able to be treated and the and the land treated well because you've got that shorter localized trading system um so more of the money goes to where it needs to go i mean from our perspective and we're just about to release a report on this the the extraction of value in the supply chain is huge um in the most in the majority in the conventional supply chain so localized gives you an opportunity to really examine that and get more of the value going to the farmer um and they've you know because you've got shorter chains fewer, less extraction fewer intermediaries um and so we were interested in that in farmer focused supply chains which can really um connect the farmer consumer and that actually in you know with fair trade it's not local it's you know it might be in africa but the relationship is closer because you've got that relationship through the accreditation scheme so i think you know it's really great topic to be looking at i don't think we need to be hard and fast but we need to be recognizing where the very complex long chains that we've got now fall down thank you you seamlessly went into my next question so i mean you've answered a little bit there but just talk about the costs and the efficiency i think really interesting yes i mean it's seen as hugely efficient or or, um very centralized complex long distance food systems that we've got now and they've been developed with the supermarkets the multiples in mind and they're very competitive it's you know it's a cutthroat world out there but they've developed very complex long chains and there's an awful lot of emphasis on processed food as well and even highly processed food which means huge costs are spent in transporting, processing, storing, freezing, processing more, and in marketing, and in the final profits of the retailers and their shareholders, or in the manufacturers and their shareholders. So there's a whole lot of extraction beyond the farm gate, which means that, you know, we know that the gross value added profits in the the food system, farmers get about 9%, which given all the the, the huge um, risks they take and the fact they're dealing with natural systems which are not predictable that's not good enough and so we we're looking at that um, in particular with five food items uh, which we're just about to release and it's really clear that costs are extracted that don't need to be and I think we need to really look at that and one of the answers is a more localized system and we want that to grow massively and we want it to also be about the resilience of the food system as as Judicale said during the covid you know it was really there was a bit of a collapse going on there although others say that it wasn't that supermarkets did fine the reality is they got a huge payout huge amount of support um and they got the benefit of a load of produce that would have gone into retail into restaurants lots of complex things here but i think you know if we built more resilient localized and regional food systems and had the money to pay for the infrastructure that farmers needed to to get the value the added value that they could get from selling their produce locally that would be a good thing and that's what we're campaigning for the kind of infrastructure and supply chains for more local and regional systems and that would mean fresher produce as well and fewer extractive costs. Carl what are the key actions needed to increase interest in local food do you think? On on a personal note we have certain strategies within Cedar Barn um, that try and put our story across like we were discussing um, before, the council criteria when we first got our planning was supposed to be 30% of our own, 30% local within a 30-mile zone, um, and then anything for the rest. We are actually doing better than that. We're doing 50% of our own and about 40% of 
Yorkshire local and the rest. We use Facebook. Um, that's very powerful. Um, our website is constantly updated, newsletters, telling a story, or telling a personal story. Like I say, it's a family farm. I suppose we've got like a little integrated food chain, which is I'm sort of partners with our next door neighbor who has quite a big arable farm, but also we share jobs. I have um, a suckler herd. He also has a suckler herd. What we've done is combined them both. And also he grows certain things for us. Part of his um, strategies to try and cover like sprouts and cover pumpkins, things like that. And I think there's quite an opening for other farms to join in like that, but only in a very localised area like we're in we do pr we have a pr lady coming in once a month who does our award applications which are very important to us getting our story out we also used to do um, an educational thing with the schools try and get into schools try and put our story out as well that is mainly what how we get our information out to customers that's fantastic. And, you know, hearing your story and, and how you are a family farm, I'm sure, is exactly what attracts people in. They get to know you and your personal story, which is fantastic. Um, Ricky, would you say, you know, some of the key actions that Carl's already mentioned, you know, these are really important to increase that interest. But would you say there's other ways of increasing interest as well? Yeah, I think what Carl's doing is exactly where we need to be going. You know, there's a, you know, I heard him talking about farmers potentially diversifying into a bit of fruit and veg. It'd be brilliant if we really decentralised fruit and veg and had more grown on more farms so you could do that kind of thing. And then the cooperation and collaboration that he's talking about, exactly, what, again, what we need. And if farmers could collaborate locally to, for instance, get a food hub, where they could collate and sort and market their produce together. Um, that is happening. There's some really good food hubs and food sheds happening across the country. We feature those in our report. Really exciting Better Food Traders is, is a new initiative as well, where the trading platform is designed to support people like Carl who are producing um, food uh, in, in a way which you can talk about, you can tell the story. So, you know, that's exactly the kind of thing we're looking at. And there's some really... Um, clear ways forward collaboration or cooperation building infrastructure as well like sheds and, and the processing um drying uh, milling all those kind of things they're usually out of the realms of a lot of farmers now but if we could invest and and do um something to get the government to really support these kind of things i think it, you know it'd be really useful but have really robust you know um partnerships between farmers so we're not talking about building up things that are just going to fall apart it's it's really you know something we see as a, a future scenario for a lot more of our food supply to be done through local and regional food systems um, but that needs that infrastructure and that trading platform to be there and we I mean it's worth saying Lizzie as well that we have new tools the digital tools you can do direct sales direct sales are doing really well particularly for livestock producers they can sell produce they can sell the story and they can have far, uh, consumers that trust them and you know Piper's farm is a great example of that and they're selling produce from their local other farmers you know it, it's all happening it needs to get much bigger, but it is happening and we have the tools. I think it's really exciting. Judy Kale, do you want to jump in here? Yes, I think there is a problem of perception, isn't there, that farmers market, box schemes, etc., are more expensive than supermarkets. And if you if you 
look at it on a sort of item by item basis without quality considerations or things like that. It's true, they are. Um, but what that is is masking, I think, is what Vicky was mentioning before about value extraction and, you know, the way people are paid and who gets a cut when uh, food is, is being um, uh, provided through supermarkets. But I think that unless people realise not just the price of food, but the value of the food as well, it's going to be quite difficult for some of those more expensive uh, channels of marketing to compete. And I think it's the, 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 what happened during COVID, I hope, has made a difference to the way people think about food and is an essential, not something that you get, you know, on your way back from work. Uh, at a, on the whim, but something that's really critical and absolutely needs to be there and to be to be uh, you know to be there when you need it. Now affordability remains a problem, particularly at the moment, uh, because you know there are genuinely people uh, in the countryside and in cities who ha are having to choose how they spend whatever little cash they've got. And for them, it is possible that unless they become part of the of, of the production chain, they're never going to be able to um, to afford uh, to buy directly. And that is a concern, but that shouldn't stop the government from trying to think about the food system in the way that, say, for example, the um, uh, the Henry Dimbleby review of uh, the food system recommended in a much more holistic way. Yeah, fascinating. Um, it's really interesting how, you know, throughout all the podcasts that we've been recording, collaboration and having this holistic view seems to be, you know, coming up time and time again. It's, it's really great to hear. The Country Land and Business Association has been safeguarding the interests of landowners and rural businesses since 1907. Through membership, you gain influence with government policymakers, exclusive and highly valuable knowledge on rural issues, and limited access to tailored advice on all aspects of land ownership from experts, contact with specialist rural services and suppliers, and support from providers who understand your needs on insurance, healthcare, and energy. step what do you think is needed to help consumers make informed choices about buying local then is it labeling education promotion we'll start with you vicky oh well that's an interesting one because you know i think it's not just down to consumers um to make those choices there's so many things about the planning system about support for farmers that you know to do the right things and support for platforms so they can sell local um and that way it'll be there for consumers to access but i think you know we could be doing um more to help people choose um uh, more sustainably and from their local um producers through schemes we used to have food from britain which is across the countries you know bodies all across the country promoting local food having something like that again would be good it faded 
um, because it was hard to compete really with the very centralized systems that we've got. And what Judith Gale said about affordability is very real. So we're running a project called um, Bridging the Gap, which is about um, getting the gap in finance between what farmers who are doing things in um, environmentally nature-friendly ways, so what we call agroecological farming, the gap between what they need in order to farm like that and to, to be able to invest in the future, etc., and what people can pay who are on low incomes and seeing where that gap should be filled. And that could be government support. They already support healthy um, start vouchers for um, families with new new babies and things like that. So, and that they're badly promoted at the moment, which is a whole other thing. But we could be doing something else to support people on low incomes and but not undermining the farmers by making you know them sell the produce at less than what they produced it for and or, you know below what they should be really investing in their farm system. So there is a big gap there. Um, but I think telling the story, promoting things like Eat the View, which is the idea of buying what you want to see and you know on the landscape, making sure you support those kind of farmers. Those are all important. And we need to have very honest labeling, particularly in terms of origin, where the food has come from. We need to know, particularly as we're opening up trade deals for across from across the world, where we know standards are lower uh, on pesticides, animal welfare, et cetera. So we need honest labeling, particularly for livestock. Um, but we need stories to be able to be told. And again, you have a tool now with digital systems where you can tell that story much more easily through apps, through emails. You can get customers to understand that they're actually buying into something really, really good that has value. And that will mean that they make that decision, even if it's a bit harder, they might have to spend less money elsewhere, but they've got that story, they understand the value. So, you know, there's load, loads of good ways we can do this, but you know, you're right. You need to have advertising, marketing, and telling those stories. Um, and platforms like farmers markets are, are really good at that as well. Um, they're doing very well. Thank you. Carl, what do you think the role of local food supply chains is in the rural economy? It's very important, especially where we live as well. There's not so many large farms. There's a lot of farmers that have that potential to uh, diversify into smaller growing sectors such as what i said about the veg and you know for instance like somebody doing like sprouts or somebody doing carrots you know each individual farm i think the perspective of people who look on farm shops i think overall people think we're very expensive but actually to get people through the door Initially, people change their mind once they're in, once they see the quality, they see the provenance, they see the traceability. For instance, the fact that COVID hit, we actually nearly doubled our takings in the shop because we delivered and we got people in who would, wouldn't ordinarily come in. And we offered a service and then they actually tasted, they actually saw what we did, they understood the traceability, they understood what we're for and what we're about. And that's had a, an ever-increasing turnover now that we've got. We're up 25% on last year um, with new customers. So it is just getting that information out and how we do it. Um, we cannot compete with supermarkets price-wise. It's impossible. You know, we've got, it's, it's okay having the small food hubs, great, but to scale up, it's a different ball game. We would need more farm shops and more sectors like us sort of encouraging local farmers to do like what we're doing. But 
scaling up is a different thing. Could, could you talk a bit more on that, Vicky? Actually, leads us very nicely onto our next question about how we can sustain these local food chains and how they can remain financially viable when they are up against, you know, big retailers and supermarkets. Yes, well, one of the things, as I mentioned, of bridging the gap is, is looking at we're piloting different tools, where the money could come from or where, where it should go to bridge that gap between what we keep, people can pay when they're on very low incomes and what the farmer needs. So that's one thing we're looking at and we'd like to find those, the, you know, the pilot's results um, to be influencing government policy. I think we've also called for the government to have a plan for local food um, uh, so that it's, for instance, leveling up funds, regenerative funds, um, funds that local authorities can access, they bid for and they can access, are actually directed towards building up um, local and regional food systems through supporting, for instance, hubs or infrastructure or retail units that um, groups of farmers or groups of traders want to actually access and make it affordable, you know, because high street retail is very expensive. But we've always also got to remember that supermarkets have got a, a selling us a bit of a lie. The produce looks cheap, but it actually has a big cost. The cost can be in terms of farmers' welfare and mental health. It can be environmental costs, animal welfare costs, all sorts of costs which we don't see. So what Carl is talking about is people see the value when they go to his place and that that you don't get that in the supermarket and, it, and those costs aren't internalised in the price. Um, so, we, you know, we've by building up an alternative, really scaling up an alternative where the, the cost of the produce actually reflects the production, but it doesn't involve loads of extraction along the chain. And, and ultimately, we'd want to see less processed produce. So people are able to buy and cook their own food makes a lot more sense in, in terms of health, in terms of costs, all sorts of ways. So it's it's quite a big vision we have um, for really scaling up, but it would need planning changes, um, grants, changing the grant schemes, changing how um, retailers are taxed compared to other kinds of retailers and um, really supporting farmers and traders, the better food traders, for instance, they're, they're growing and growing all the time, but they, they know they need particular support, as Carl says, we can't compete with the Zoom. So the kind of things that governments can do in, in terms of um, providing, for instance, low interest loans or, you know, particular support, grants for transition, etc. Um, I think there's a whole load that could be done and we're, we're pressing the government hard to do it but to have a plan for a regional and local food system in the UK and build up our resilience. The government food strategy announced a consultation on a plan for 50% of food expenditure in the public sector to go on food produced locally or to higher environmental standards. It sounds like good news but due to kale what is actually needed to make it work? So uh, apart from the need to define what they mean by local, which I've already mentioned, they need, I think, three main things. The first one is a change to the public procurement rules, because at the moment, these still push towards the cheapest possible. And if they're serious about local and quality, they're going to have to change that. That's the first thing. Uh, and they'll need to, to resource the various you know, uh, public bodies, schools, hospitals, prisons, etc., to be paying the kind of prices that are needed to support high quality local food. 
The second issue that they've got to address is support for UK sectors where self-sufficiency is low. So um, uh, Carl and, and Vicky have mentioned uh, vegetables. I mean, if you look at fruit, we are an abominably low 16% self-sufficient, 16%. And if you're looking at, you know, typical or, or traditional crops like apples, pears and, and plums, uh, we only produce 40% of the apples that we eat in this country, 20% um, of our pears and plums. We're doing rather better on strawberries, amazingly enough. But unfortunately, you know, we can't feed ourselves on strawberries. Um, and for vegetables, it's 54%. And even for things like potatoes, it's only 70%. So uh, there is quite a lot of, uh, of work to be done there. And I think, again, Vicky mentioned infrastructure. I'd add labor availability to this. And I think that the, you know, we're, we're taking one step forward, two steps back every time we change Secretary of State uh, at the Home Office. Uh, and uh, water availability, I think, is going to be a, an increasing problem for everybody, not just, you know, in the context of the uh, of the local food production target that the uh, that the government would like to set, but generally for those kinds of crops and indeed for livestock. So that's uh, uh, something else uh, for them to uh, to work on. And the final thing is trade. So there's no point in having all these you know, local food chains and short food chains if you then scupper the financial viability of your sectors because you're letting in imports that are being produced at uh, much lower standards, environmental and indeed labor standards than uh, farmers in this country would be allowed to produce that. So it's really important for the future viability of the sector that we at the CLA and indeed others continue lobbying government to not let substandard imports through. And if I may, just to add on supermarkets, because I think, you know, the, the, the vision that Vicky has is fantastic in the long term, but I think we probably need action now to make sure that there is a little bit more of a level playing field. And that uh, goes through in, in the CLA's view, uh, action by and teeth for the groceries code adjudicator. And I think that is another part of the puzzle that needs to happen too. I totally agree on that GCA because it's it's potentially, you know, they're, they're consulting on it at the moment, the government, and one of their options is to abolish it. So Judy Kale and I and all our members would be totally opposed to that. But there's also supply chain in between the retailers and, and the, all the bids in the middle, which could be covered by sort of new supply chain, sector supply chain codes of fairness enforced by an, an adjudicator, be the GCA or another. And the, the government is dragging their heels on, heels on this. We need those codes of practice because I totally agree. We need a, a level playing field now and things to be much fairer. And I hear all the time, for instance, farmers desperately asking for a cost price increase because their inputs costs are going up on fertilizer or, or labor, particularly big problem. Um, and the supermarket saying no. And, you know, it's really difficult. They're tiny players against these huge behemoths of buyers, you know. And so having governments step in and enforce stronger codes of practice and fair dealing, they can't influence the price, but they can influence how the price is uh, 
organized and, and negotiated and they, they should be stepping in on that and and i understand the grocery code you do together is but uh, it's very very important and so yeah that's important for local as as well as national food you know all needs to be fairly traded in a, in a way well the the call for action now is clear but carl are you feeling positive about the future of local food economy as a personal view, we're very confident, actually. We are increasing more to be more self-sufficient. We are having quite serious problems with some of our suppliers with the increase in prices. So we've, we've had to sort of get our ideas together and start baking more, looking sort of more what we can do on our own back. We have quite a, a reasonably sized production kitchen, which isn't maximized at the moment. So now I would say our baking was up to about 80% self-sufficient. And again, with other things, you know, like the fruit, we're in, we're going to increase the fruit. We have quite a wider selection of fruit. Unfortunately, it is seasonal. So we're having to look further afield in the, in the wintertime for imports, you know, for the, for the just basic standard stuff like oranges and things like that, just to keep people coming in just for their staples. But I would like these small food hubs would be an excellent idea, but going about it to get people, get farmers interested in it is another thing. And we would probably need more farm shops and just you be a nucleus for possibly about a 30 mile radius, like, like what we said to be counted as local, you know, get more hub food hubs like that, but it would take a lot of doing. I'm sure your colleagues there would agree on that. Fantastic. Thank you, Carl. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today, but I want to say an enormous thank you all so much for joining us, Judy Kale, Carl and Vicky, navigating through how we can and need to nurture the local food economy. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you soon here on Rural Business Uncovered. If you're not a member of the CLA, you can join today. More information can be found on our website, cla.org.uk. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you can join us again soon. You have been listening to the Rural Business Uncovered podcast. You can find all our episodes wherever you get your podcasts or just search Rural Business Uncovered on your chosen podcast provider. Remember to hit subscribe or follow to make sure you don't miss an episode.